Hello there and welcome back to the Chat Shit Get Fit, the fitness news where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and as always I'm joined by Tom. Good evening. Before I tell you what we're talking about, just a pre-warning, I clearly have a cold so if it does start to irritate you, it is what it is. You know, I can't help it. If it does start to irritate you then um, it you just... Don't listen. Don't listen. No, please. No one's forcing you. Well, we need downloads, mate. No one's forcing you. In fact, I'd rather you not listen if you're going to be like that. (laughs) A bit of reverse psychology. Yeah, if you're going to be nasty towards me. (laughs) If anything, you should be thankful that I've climbed myself out of my bed and I've gone, you know what? Let's get this podcast done. Let's get it it out there. Give the people what they want. Can't wait to see you at Norfolk's next Bravery Awards. <laughs> Norfolk's next Bravery Awards. That sounds like Alan Partridge would be hosting. <laughs> it actually is. That was what, an Alan Partridge was joke. I was actually, it actually is. <laughs> Norfolk Bravery Awards. It's almost like it was natural there. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, 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 God. oh my poor baby. <laughs> Where, Alan, where's the award? Alan. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> anyway, right. Um, this week, we're going to take a closer look at six packs are unhealthy. So are six packs bad for your health? And we'll talk about six pack abs in terms of, you know, the thing for people on their uh, mid- midline. We're then going to move on to... Artois. Yep. We're then going to move on to activity guidelines. Do they even work? But before all that, we are going to give you a quick update on Skinny Jab and our conversation from last week on form and technique. So with all that being said, let's get into this week's The Fitness News. <laughs> Ooh, little, little sniffle there. Sniffle there. Let's go. Okay, Tom, before we get into the two big topics this week, actually, quick quick rewind. Normally, you might be, if you're a long-term listener and you're vigilant with our operations of content producing, you'll know we normally do three big topics. But the reason we've only got two is because there was one which we were going to talk about. But a little teaser for next week. It's a big one, and we've got a guest coming on to help us talk about it. Because it's a, it's a mm-hmm. paper revolving a certain topic, which is quite a punchy topic in terms of stuff. And sometimes it's best to get people in who work in that space all the time yeah. to help talk about it. So It's not gonna... a 15-minute talking point. No, it's it? not a 15-minute Basically. talking point. So uh, that is why there's only two. But we have got a little update, as I said, for two topics, and that will hopefully f- fill the time. Um, and the first thing I want to update everyone on is Skinny Jab. So there's been more articles coming out about this, and it's really, I mean, they're really trying to push it, aren't they? Basically, what we know now is that it's going to be available in spring, and you can get it on the NHS which is the National Health Service here in the UK, which is our free health service. Um, it's our America. communist health system, yeah. <laughs> communist health system, for <laughs> fuck's sake, right. Um, and basically, uh, well, to get on there, so the NHS, you won't be able to just walk in and get it. So WeGovy, which is the product it's going to be called as, as you might remember, when we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, is going to be available for people who have a BMI of 35 plus, basically mm. morbidly obese. So that's important. Patients must also have at least one weight-related comorbidity, such as type 2 diabetes, or you know, something along those lines. Um, but adults between a BMI of 30 and 35 could also be recommended the drug if they've been referred for by specialists, for, you know, for specialist reasons. Okay, so hmm. it is going to be coming out um, on the NHS. But just to clarify, it's not being prescribed out willy-nilly. No, 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 you can't you can't. There has it. to be a legitimate reason for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, however... With more articles coming out, there's been more specialists and more people talking about it. Um, and there was a well, there was a couple of specialists basically saying that it's not sustainable. Okay, and we're going to talk about 
in terms of who we're talking about this for certain demographics this is not really an issue if it's sustainable or not because it's a dramatic intervention but um, there was a study that came out no notes here you guys can't see it but i will link the study in the show notes there's some little graphs basically um and what the graphs essentially show is that it is very effective in terms of we govy for, for losing weight is very effective however it does tend to have a big sort of relapse almost after you stop taking it so if i was to kind of explain the chart if the moment they start taking it there was a nice big steep drop off down to losing weight and then when they stopped taking this um this was after 52 weeks i believe it was they basically climbed back up again they, they ended up overall still below what they started with that's important to note however they did climb back up again oh, just to quickly retcon that so the, uh, the treatment phase was 68 weeks but it was a 52 week of coming off of it yeah sorry my bad yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah so it's, it's a long it's a long period of time though looking at these subjects for then as tom just said just to repeat that in case i confused you 68 weeks they were being treated by where they lost all the weight, and then 52 week off the treatment phase, they um put start putting weight back on again. Okay, um, so once again, it highlights kind of if we echo what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and we spoke about this was that this is the sort of thing that requires a lot of guidance during yeah. and post to ensure long term success. Go back to my points that I mentioned before about. For people who aren't in that obese category, I, I explained to you in that podcast when we spoke about this that I got a prescription for it very easily. So I got a, what you class as an off-label prescription. Um, so I am actually I can actually go grab some of this um, WeGovy, still not WeGovy, but semaglutide-based products to help me lose weight if I wanted mm-hmm. to. I don't need to, but I could if I wanted to. Um, and the issue with that is if there's people out there taking it for that, they're essentially yo-yoing with their weight probably. Yeah. Because if they're trying to get beach body ready, yes, they will lose a lot of weight. There's no doubt. I mean, the it's clear you'll lose but the problem is afterwards but if they just put it all back on again what what have they what have they kind of gained there do you know what mm. i mean it's not and it's not cheap either these off-label stuff if we looked at when i should when I, what, how much did i say it was i think it was for the for one of them it was 200 a month and one of them it was 350 a month mm, off the top of my head i can't actually remember <laughs> either way it's the bottom i think the cheapest you'll be able to get it for is 200 pound a month <clears throat> yeah which is a lot of money okay um and I understand where the specialists are saying it's not sustainable. However, it's a, it further highlights that this is a drastic intervention. If you're morbidly yes. obese, you're in a it's dangerous. Essentially, your health is at a critical point, mm. and if this can get your health down, if this sorry, if this can get your weights down, then go for it. Sustainability is not a problem at that point. Sustainability is not really the, the thing in question. You're not you're not going to be like thinking, oh, let's make gradual changes. Let's try and lose, you know quarter of a pound this week and then we'll see how you get on if you put on a bit more off no at that point they need drastic intervention because they are morbidly obese so this is yeah. why this is coming for that but if you're someone who's just overweight and you're getting an off-label prescription and you're not really getting any guidance or any you're not having any sort of lifestyle interventions during this pr- process um, you're just going to put it all back on again basically i mean the thing is like in regards to weight loss in general even if we kind of move away from like semaglutide for a bit relapse is a common thing and there is a pretty big chunk of percentage of people who will lose uh, a certain amount of um, body fat percentage or let's just say weight, just to be simple. They will lose a certain amount of weight and then regain a fair amount of it back anyway. Kind of where that uh, saying 95% of diets fail, which to be honest with you is not quite true. Even the original person that was quoted from came out and said that, yeah, it, it, why he said it was pretty much for the shit in the first place. Mm. But dieting in general in the sense of like, purposely trying to lose weight 
a lot of people will regain it back anyway. But it's how much will they regain back? Okay, so admittedly in this, like a fair amount kind of got back to pretty much their same baseline as before. But it's like, okay, even if they come off the medication and they are still somewhat lower from their original baseline after coming off after the 52-week period, it's still somewhat of a victory. I think I think the difference though, Tom, is if people lose weight in a conventional way, you'd hope they've done things that are more common to lose weight with whereas they've this yeah. is, they people have relied on a medicine to do that for them essentially which is essentially the way it's worked is it's curbed their appetite so they don't need to eat yeah they've not really learned how to manage their calories or how to sustainably lose uh, weight over time essentially this is uh, this was another point i was going to make is chances are that if they were already got to the point where they became you know obese in the first place chances are they was already living in a, a pre-obesogenic environment in the first yes, place exactly so even once they come off of like an appetite suppressant, mm. even if they have had some kind of like behavioural change intervention, which uh, by look at the paper they they did have, yeah. they did have some form of support. You know, you're still going to be in that environment that got you to where you were in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of expect that. I mean, bearing in mind as well, like we already know that like uh, obesity is a very complex, very very complex subject. You know, and that's putting it lightly, um, but. Oh, fucking hell. What was I about to say? I did have a fucking point. I forgot what it was. Brilliant. You know, no, but like obesity is already like a very complex sub, uh, subject in, mm. in the first place. Yeah. So what the fuck was I about to say? <laughs> You're up, mate. You're in a moment. No, I'm fucking having a meltdown here. Oh, God. Well, that's what I was going to say. No. So obesity is already, I don't know if you're aware of this, Bill. Right. But Got- obesity is very complex in the first place. Oh, oh really? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, wow. Third time's a charm. Yeah. But, fucking gone, I've forgotten it again, haven't I? You fuck off. You're taking your eyes out of that, <laughs> aren't you? You're taking a piss. Nah. Um, yeah, I'm taking a piss that time. But the whole, um, with the medication of semaglutide in regards to obesity, it's still in its, like, early experiment, not experimentation, well, clearly it is because this is an experiment, but it's, it's still early days that this is being prescribed, so there's going to be a lot to learn here. And I think... Um, yeah, if anything, it, it does go to point out that, like, yeah, it's not something that you can rely on forever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, once you come off, there's going to be a lot of factors at play here, so, such as, yeah, behaviour, intervention. Is it, Are you actually learning key skills yeah. during, uh, you know, the support you're getting during it? And even then, with that support, is it something that's even going to make a difference once your appetite goes back to where it was before, once you come off semaglutide? I think just to summarise this little update, I just want to stress that, it's clear that the reason for this product is it's a drastic intervention. Okay. Yeah. Its idea is if you're morbidly obese or you've got some like a critical health condition, they're trying to get you out of that. But you could call it I don't know a red zone. Maybe they're trying to get you out of the red zone yeah. so that you don't basically don't die. Essentially, maybe there's a chance that you somewhat need surgery, but you yeah. need to be at a uh, you need yeah. to become so, you know a, a certain weight in order yeah. to undertake such a surgery yeah. where it's like okay we kind of need this to happen within the next year rapidly we know that just like berating you and saying you've got to lose weight you've got to lose weight you've got to lose weight it's not going to work in that time frame okay we can get you onto this drug and then obviously yeah. that sounds me that's the way I just said it is terrible yeah let's get you onto this drug but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, like you mean, yeah. Um, alright guys we'll move on to the next update before we move on to the two oh, before, before, before we say that I've just got to point out one thing go on so obviously like Big Pharma is evil right oh, God we all man. know that yeah Big Pharma yeah alright wait till you see the conflict of interest in this paper it would send all the like right ring right ring <laughs> right wing uh, you know conspiracy theorists in arms guess who guess who helped pay for the travel 
the travel of the, of the researchers. Yeah, and the subjects and whoever else. AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, oh. They paid for their bus fares, Bill. <laughs> about to trigger a lot paid of people. Paid for their bus fares, about to trigger a lot of people. I know. Uh, I reckon everyone knows who AstraZeneca are by now. So we now know that it's Big Pharma and Big TFL. Yeah, they're trying to make us all skinny and weak. Yeah. That's the conspiracy. Enough, uh, my old uh, childhood hospital was mentioned here as well, which probably explains a lot. Well, well there's paper about semaglutide. Yeah. Really? St. Thomas and Guys. There can't be that many St. Thomas and Guys. It must be my no, hospital. Must be, it must be. It must be. Yeah. Oh, even Pfizer gets a mention. Quick, let's Pfizer. move on. Oh, right, let's move fucking swiftly on. Jesus Christ. We're going to start trickling people right. Anyway, um, so next update is on... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Yeah, 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 pre- yeah. Prepare yourself for this. Prepare God, yourself. yeah, that was just me clearing my throat. Not prepared. It's not that, that important, but um, yeah. So next beat is a is a spot. <laughs> what was that? Wait, that was a normal sip. A normal sip. Fucking hell, you look gagging on your tea, right? So, <laughs> spine update. <laughs> Last week we spoke about spinal flexion, and it must have been spinal flexion week because everybody seemed to be talking about it last week for some reason. Fuck knows why, but anyway. Squat University, you might have seen him online. He's quite a big personality in the fitness space. Um, he made a video debunking, and I say that in hypothetical, you know, a study that he said claimed that lifting with a flexed spine is safer and better than a straight one. So I'll repeat that again. He made a video debunking a study that he claimed, the study said that lifting with a flexed spine is safer and better than a straight one. Firstly, I just want to say, is the paper he's talking about does not claim that lifting with a flex spine is safer or better. Ironically, it is his actual paper I was talking about in the last episode. He obviously heard our episode, yeah. you know, his ears were burning. Um, what's interesting, because I think we were talking about it in the in the sense of efficiency and stuff, because that's obviously a point that comes up. Uh, and this this study was basically what it showed. I'm not sure if we mentioned this last week, but I'll repeat it anyway, is that the st- a flexed spine produces less EMG activity in the spinal muscles. Okay, so essentially mm. it's trying to say that you're using less energy. So what the authors have uh, hypothesized is that it's actually more efficient. Um, so basically, better for things like mm. CrossFit where you've got to do lots and lots of deadlift because essentially it's using less, less energy less energy overall. So if you're doing 100 reps for a deadlift, it's a, what it's trying to say is that potentially a flexed spine is better because you're using there's less activity in the spinal muscles. But then what happened is, is Aaron from Squat U... Uh, doctor, doctor, Dr. Aaron. He's a doctor. I must remember he's a doctor. This is the guy who, when he made his own scientific paper on spines, he actually, what did he reference? An earthquake for yeah, some he, reason. Yeah, fuck. He who was, who was the one who fucking brought Jesus into it? Who was that? Is that Joel oh, Seaman? Oh, wait, no, that's Joel that's Seaman. That's Joel Seaman. He brought, fucking, he brought Jesus into it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the... <laughs> he cited God. <laughs> he cited God. Anyway. Like, all right, I'll fucking cite, I don't know, Obi-Wan. Yeah, fucking hell. He got He got bored of telling people to go read the article. He's like, fuck it, I'll just send, I'll send him upstairs instead. <laughs> Go speak to the big man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just brought out the final boss. <laughs> yeah, the final boss. Anyway, back to Scott Yu. So basically, he then goes on to rebuke what we just said by saying that because the force isn't in the spinal muscles, it's going into the ligaments and the discs in the spine, basically. Getting scared, saying, look, all that force that you're saying has gone from the spinal muscles, it's going into your discs, into your ligaments, you're going to get fucked up. Um, but as we said last week, the spine adapts. Funny that, isn't it? Discs adapt adapt so stop flapping aaron relax your beans mate all right chill out okay there's nothing to be worried about okay your, your discs are going to adapt your, your ligaments your spines are going to adapt i mean admittedly like with the paper there are some criticisms yeah yeah there are yeah. see like the whole idea of like emg yeah and relying on emg like uh to say that oh this will make you stronger etc is not exact 
it is not quite the case. Uh, same with hypertrophy as well. And there's quite a few EMG studies that will show that, like, oh yeah, you'll you'll activate your mid delts more if you do this certain movement compared to this because EMG shows more activation. Mm. But EMG just kind of shows you that there's there's something going on there. Yeah. It's just noise, though. I, I once heard a really good analogy explaining EMG, and I'm probably about to butcher it. But it's like you're you're imagine you're putting your ear to the door and you can hear voices talking then you've got to try and guess how many people are actually in that room mm. so okay so you can actually see some you can actually hear something's going on and you can hear whether it's getting cl- uh, quieter yeah. or louder but it's still hard to find out exactly how many people are in the room there so it's hard to tell like how much activation is going in regards to like fibers yeah. etc but um the the Fun thing about that, God, fuck hell, how nerdy am I? The fun thing about that scientific paper. <laughs> God, wow, how exciting. Um, was that at the end, uh, the, they concluded that it kind of brings into question like manual labour instructions. Mm. You know, and even in, even in the gym, I can't yeah, be working. Did we, did we a, talk a, there wasn't, isn't there a whole paper on this? Isn't there a whole research paper we spoke about before that had, that looked at manual, the manual handling? So it basically well, showed that there was no benefit to doing the training. Yeah, it's like, um, it's basically just what you kind of prefer. Yeah. Obviously, within your capacity for the load you can lift as well. But I mean, um, yeah, even like the gym I work at, bearing in mind it's a fucking gym, there's a health and safety post on the wall. You know, you must bend with a straight back. You know, do not, be- sorry, yeah, you cannot bend your back. You, it has to be straight. Mm. You know, make sure you lift with your legs as well. It's a, I'm working at a gym for God's sake, it's embarrassing. But yeah, the paper that's gone to say that, like, kind of begs that to question. But yeah, it just goes to show that, like, it may possibly be more efficient for some people mm. it might require less energy and you do see it with some powerlifters as well actually like quite a few powerlifters purposely actually start off with like a flex spine I just found that paper tom yeah about um, i think it was called yeah occupational interventions for the prevention of back pain overview of systematic reviews daniel sower um 2018 have you seen that paper? Quite recent to an extent. Yeah, I'm not sure we see that paper. That basically just spoke about that, about how obviously interventions to prevent back pain, like you you know, the lifting thing, lift with a straight back, yeah. use your legs, blah, blah, blah. And they essentially said, look, there doesn't seem to be a correlation between the training no. and the prevalence of blower back pain, really. So the, the issue with there, obviously, we spoke about last week was if you tell someone to go pick up a box, you tell them in little old John to go pick up a fucking massive box that he's never lifted like that weight before in his life. It doesn't matter how he lifts that box up. He's probably going to hurt himself. He's probably going to feel some pain because it's ridiculously heavy. But you know, like when we, when we talk about like pain and injuries, well in particular, like what we spoke about before, a lot of time it's one of the biggest correlations to pain and injury is load management Mm -hmm. and not just external load, but internal load as well. So I know I'll have construction workers, you know, or brickies that might say to me, Oh, you can't tell me, that bending your back and not keeping it straight ain't going to hurt you. Because, you know, my one time, like, uh, on the job, I bent down and bent my back as I was picking something up and it really hurt. And it's like, yeah, but there's so many other factors. And if you're working that kind of job, it's fucking stressful. And it's very hard to manage load when it's your job. In a gym, you can call it quits. Do you know what I mean? You know when yeah, to stop. True. If you're you working on a, work a construction site. <laughs> and, and there's, like, bags of fucking cement. Yeah. You're going from one brick... Yeah, can't set the site form and I've got doms, mate. Can I just not pick up a bag up, please? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's repetitive f- as well. Yeah, so yeah. Where you're at, you might even be going beyond your capacity despite doing it day in, day out. And that might be another thing. Technically, it could be overtraining. There's so many different factors at play. Um, essentially, guys, what we're just saying, that little update was is that Scott Yu 
in terms of when he talks about things about the spine etc just fucking ignore him just don't listen to him right end of end of update yeah. <laughs> we'll move on we'll move on so to creepy <laughs> move on to the first piece of new news new news new news new news oh i like this sounds like a new pingu. news you've watched pingu new news Noot, noot. yeah <laughs> that's still quite, watch it mate wait that made yeah, you've got kids yeah well you make them watch it is there, is there a new one out or is it still the old one yeah, yeah no it's still the old one still where he gets one, battered yeah. by his parents yeah, yeah. that's what i say it's like actually when you watch it now it's actually ruthless it's quite scary I'll tell you what i watched last night and i never realized how fucking savage it was what? the old school tom and jerry from the 40s oh really yeah, mate, they're fucking brutal, mate. Mate, kids must have been built different then because the shit they were watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fucking hell. Right. I mean, led them on to Vietnam, Korea. Yeah, that's a good point. Know. Yeah, there's lots of wars around them, wasn't there, I suppose. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, now we're a bit different, aren't we? Um, anyway, <laughs> the new news, um, not Pingu. Um, six-pack abs, are they unhealthy? So, firstly, I mean, we should probably describe what we mean by six-pack abs. Um, I'm going to have to try and be pretty descriptive here because we are an audio podcast primarily. I can show you an old, old, old photo. <laughs> an old, right. <laughs> It'd be a very old one. It's a thing on your tummy which has like little bumps and some would say it's aesthetically pleasing or it's the, I don't know, it's normally associated with superheroes or that kind of imagery right um, basically what for me when i think of it more geeky is that for me it's an indication of someone that has a low body fat percentage yeah but it's often associated with someone who's been in shape and we'll talk why that's pro- that might not be the case just because you've got six pack abs doesn't necessarily mean you're a healthy individual mm. in shape but for me as a blanket term i would say it just it's just an indication that someone's got a low body fat percentage because if your body yeah. fat percentage is low enough, you'll see you'll see some abs. Okay, if you've obviously got if you've got them there. Um, first, I think we should establish what because there are actually recommended percentages of body fat. Um, and I managed to pull up a American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. This was Gallagher et al. Um, and I'll go through the chart and I'll give you Love Oasis. Okay, yeah, big Noel just in the lab. <laughs> Liam kicking off. <laughs> right, um, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go through. Um, I'll go, I'll go through ideal and then over fat. Okay, so uh, women, women and men are obviously different, okay, in terms of body fat because of the way we, I think we actually did mention this a couple of weeks and ago. Other but, things, yeah. And other things, yeah. Um, <laughs> so women aged 20 to 39, ideal body fat percentage is 21 to 33%. Okay. 40 to 59 is 23 to 34%. We then go to men, 20 to 39, ideal is 8 to 19%. It's quite a big variance. Bear in mind, okay, guys, because genetics plays a big role in this, okay? So age 40 to 59 is 11 to 21%, and age 60 to 79 is 13 to 24%. Is that, that's what they class as ideal body fat percentage. Now, in terms of when you'll see your abs, because there's no, I can't just say to you, okay, when you hit 9.5%, you'll see your abs. Genetics, as I said, do play quite a big role in this, depending on if you're, you know, when you'll see your abs. For some people, you have to literally strip right down, which is, it comes with its own issues because you end up getting people chasing low percentages because the fat isn't leaving the midline. It's not because you can't spot reduce fat. Maybe a spoiler alert. I don't know if you've <laughs> newsflash for some people, but they might not know this. But you can't spot reduce fat. Okay, so if the fat isn't leaving your midline and you're not getting your abs people then might start chasing these lower body fat percentages because they're trying to get these abs when genetically you might not be predisposed to see your abs until 8% body fat, which is actually very low. You muted, Tom. You muted. Muted, 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 muted. Yeah, how long has that been there Welcome for? back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, abs like any other muscle, you know, 
can grow as well. Mm, yeah, sure. So obviously that'll make a difference as well yeah. when you are reducing volume. Four million setups a day, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've heard of the term, actually I know you have, I don't know why I'm asking, but you know, the term uh, skinny abs. Yeah, skinny abs, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, okay, like it's impressive that you've managed to starve yourself yeah. to that um, to that extent. Yeah. But it's like, you can see abs, but it's, it's skinny abs. Like they're not actually as well we defined. We used to have it in like school when we were, I don't know how old we were, been like secondary school, whatever it was, but you'd have certain kids who would have abs, um, but they'd be, yeah, but they, no one went to the gym. No one went to the actual gym. Like no one really in, in the school, in secular, like, especially the younger years, you never went to yeah. the gym, but there'd be people with abs and people think, oh, they're like, you know, they, they must be like training or they must be really healthy. It's actually because it's not eating. Yeah, it's not. It's nothing to do with anything. It's yeah. because they they're not eating. That's why they've got the abs at that age. It's not like they've been training a lot. They've all got a high training yeah. age, um, <laughs> or they're just super active, like yeah, running yeah. around their yeah. state, mugging people. Loads. Who knows? <laughs> or maybe playing football in the park would be a nice, a nice bit of imagery yeah. instead of there's you, your South yeah, so London. I think the mild childhood. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say <laughs> South London childhood <laughs> muggins in the park, stealing you know Pizza Hut mopeds. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, Probably wouldn't class as activity, to be fair. If it's a moped, okay. right? Um, back to the uh, back to the genetic stuff. So, th- the same. I said genetics player role. There's also the same for sex hormones because this is going to also influence where fat is distributed. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that if you're postmenopausal woman, fat distribution will more likely be around the midline. So mm. for you, for example, you might have to get even lower body fat percentage to be able to see those abs if that's what you so desire okay so these are a couple of things that are going to impact your ability to see them essentially because sometimes you might always hear the thing as well of, oh i've got abs that just underneath this layer of fat and it's like sometimes people you can if you I mean, you feel now if you if you, you know push your tummy out and like hold your breath and like squeeze you might better feel something there but because your body fat percentage mm. is not low enough then it's not visible okay or you get that super gym lighting that's it, you know, that, yeah, the super gym light. Lighting, actually, that's fuck genetics, fuck sex hormones. Lighting <laughs> is the absolute key. That is the biggest factor oh, yeah. when it comes to your abs. You get good lighting, you're seeing abs. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> once you leave the light. <laughs> Do you know what, though? It's a specific type of lighting. So when we say, oh, good lighting, like to me, good lighting on a podcast is this big fucking LED, yeah, LED thing yeah. in front of me, right? Yeah, yeah, it's big light. searchlight. Yeah, searchlight. Yeah. But, but for yeah. ab definition, it's more... It's kind of like a softer, well, it's a soft not create shadows, light. Isn't it? it creates the shadows, yeah, directly above. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So yeah, where it creates that shadow, as you said. I'll give you a ball. You know, I'll give you a ballpark figure um, for to see something. And from what I've what I've seen um, in general, just from looking everywhere, basically ten to fifteen percent. You, yeah. you you should be able to see something. I'm not, I'm not obviously I can't determine how rich or not you look, but you should be able to see something going on there. Okay, obviously as we said, lighting will make it will definitely change the way it looks. Uh, you better yeah. see something. Your experiences may differ. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking hell. Um, if you're under ten percent though, so six, seven, eight percent, it's going to be a lot more noticeable. Okay, I mean if I give you some context, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is notorious, well not notorious, but he, he's known to be shredded. He's got seven percent body fat. Mm. which is very low. He's obviously an extremely active individual. You know, chasing that would be <laughs> fucking I mean, mad. If you look at Bruce Lee when he was like super oh, striated. Yeah. Mind you, he used to dehydrate himself as well. So like, you know, but yeah. I mean, um, that's, a good yeah, point, actually. That. that's a good point. Dehydration. That's, that's something that also affects how much you can see. I mean, mm. I think we are going to talk about this, but actually I'll, I'll wait a bit. I'll move on to this next bit and then we'll talk because I think we are going to talk about this a bit more depth. But because after that, the article then goes on to talk about social media, which is quite a natural progression because mm. if you think about it, it's especially in PTs, it's a massive selling tactic. 
either on themselves oh, or with yeah. a client photo shoot, which we'll talk about actually in a sec. But PTs, for example, it's like a badge to say that I am healthy. I know how to get in shape. And unfortunately, it becomes quite almost, I want to say toxic in a way, because you're telling people this is the definition of health almost. If you're using that as your main yeah. selling point, your abs, your chiseled, lean physique, you're almost obviously depending on how you how you speak online, how you use your language, but you're almost saying that's the this is the health, and you're putting yourself through things you might not want to just for the sake of marketing, essentially. I mean, my biggest issue with it is on the exact same issue I have with people that do before and after pictures with their clients as well. Now, in regards to this kind of progress or goal, let's say. <clears throat> Your your experience literally will differ depending yeah, on your yeah, circumstances. So it's like just like how I, I do not see a point of showing someone a before and after of a client to say this could be you. I'd say the same thing for showing your your abs off as well in a poster because it's like, well, okay, but you're you're different from me. You might not you might not have kids. You might not have a high stress job. You, you might, might not, not have good lighting. In a, you know, you might have really good lighting. Yeah, <laughs> you might have the skills to be able to cook yeah sure you know you may have access to better foods than me you know financially and in regards to like location as well yeah it's like you may have more you you live in a gym as a pizza you live in a gym so you have more time to train than me mm. you know i can't get twenty thousand steps in a day you know yeah. and then the client same for the client oh, that's got like the before and after picture their circumstances might be completely different to what you're yeah, saying, people have to fail, though, isn't it? Really, because people are getting yeah. wrong. I mean, you speak about the photo shoot, Tom. I mean, another issue I have with that is kind of tagging on to what you said was it kind of gives the impression that this is a successful body transformation and this is what yeah. success looks like. Because they'll be like, Here's what I did with my client in 12 weeks. You're then telling people that this is how they should look in 12 weeks' time, and if they don't look like that, they've failed. And we know failure yeah. is very damaging. So this is the problem I've got. Is that, and if you look at these photo shoots, they're very clever in the way they make them look. They'll make they'll dehydrate them essentially, as we spoke about. They'll get they'll say, hey, they'll be like, mate, don't drink any water for like the night, the day before, the night before, whatever, um, like a few hours before. They'll put they'll normally cover them in fucking oil. They'll give them a spray yeah. tan. They'll do think they'll do things to make them. I mean, there's actually I forgot the guy's called, but there's actually a guy who who's he's quite a big photographer in the industry he basically does a lot of these photo shoots but they'll use him and he's very good at making them look good like he has the right lighting mm. kit he gets them the right angles he knows the right filters to make the clients look very very good and unfortunately that is not how they look it's just yeah. social media trickery but unfortunately you're getting people looking at this stuff on social media and they think that is success that that's is how the product I, as well that is, yeah and that is setting people up to fail really because then if they do it and they don't look like that if they feel like they failed, they might not want to carry on. They'll be like, oh, this is not for me. I'm a failure. And mm. they go, they relapse and go back again. And this is where I think um, the whole six-bag ab things in that regard is quite uh, damaging. I mean, look, in regards to I've nothing against six-pack abs, by the way. <laughs> I've nothing against them. <laughs> yeah, I think we should just make but it clear. It's, actually, yeah. it's, <laughs> but it's like the using it as a selling point. I don't mind if, if there was a client who realistically they could get to the point where they'd have six pack abs and that's what they want i'll be happy to help them get to that and I, I honestly i would happily train someone to do that if i know that uh well they're capable of doing it and i'm not going to actually be damaging them in the long term in regards to, like their mental health etc but i mean i'm not going to i'm not going to go and do donuts in fucking halford's car park 
and then advertise myself as a driving instructor saying, look, look what I managed to do. Yeah, okay. You know, because it's irrelevant to that person's goals and their circumstances yeah. and what they actually need. But yeah, like in regards to, so look, with this article, I'll be honest with you, I'm really fucking struggling to find out what the actual takeaway is here because how we define health in regards to, okay, this yeah. is bad for your health. Yeah. But I do understand from a, 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 a mental well-being point of view, that obviously it can become something that becomes obsessive, mm-hmm. or that it, it can have that um, viewpoint of where people might think, "Oh, yeah, this is the definition of health." Yeah, and me and you both know that's not quite true. Yeah, so we know that there could be a weight neutral approach to health, where just because you don't have abs doesn't mean you can't have health promoting behaviours, or just because you may never have abs, or sorry, well defined abs, because everyone actually has abs, but just because you're not at a low body fat percentage and you don't have abs doesn't mean you're a failure. You can still become strong. You can still yeah. become fit. The guy, I mean, you said about like takeaway. I think he, when he he talks about his past experience with this, and he says that having extremely low levels of body fat is not recommended. And yet, as a lifetime fitness addict, a part of me always feels the pull of a six pack. Um, so the question really comes from that is. What's the takeaway of that? I mean, I, they were, as you kind of rightly said, Tommy, it was kind of difficult to determine what the takeaway was. But the yeah. question I was asking but at the end of it was, why would you want a six-pack? I I do still, I just want to say, I still think that's quite hyperbolic, though, to say that, you know, it's not good for your health to have a six-pack in a physical sense because, okay, to be at an extremely low body fat percentage, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. But this is creating like a false, you can still have a six-pack, within the 10 to 15% body fat yeah, range. For some people, that can be more yeah. visible than others. So for someone who's yeah. in a healthy range and you're saying that it's not healthy to have one, I, mean, I think this is, well, it's, it's, it's a typical journalism. I mean, that's why we do this series yeah. because we tackle journalism. taking the extreme side of things and just pasting the whole topic with that brush. They, journalism is what they do. They make it very extreme. And that's where we come in to dissect it and not scare you as much because if you come across these articles or this information, you might be like, oh God, I don't want a six pack now. But um, yeah. I mean, the, for, I think we should talk, kind of talk about Tom is why would you want a six pack? Because there's numerous reasons why you want one, and I think the first one is that specialist scenario. And this is where most people who are listening won't apply to. Um, for example, you've got an athlete cutting weight. If you're a fighter, if you're a bodybuilder, if you're trying to make ah. a certain weight, you're obviously like bodybuilders and fighters to work for their weigh-ins or for the show. They go through quite a drastic transformation to look the best or to be at a certain weight. So with that. I would say actually having six pack abs yes. is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of yeah, rather than an actual goal there. Yeah, I mean, for I the body, but for fine. the I think for the bodybuilders a goal though, isn't it? Because that's for the yeah. Uh, yeah, yes. aesthetically like. So, so from an aesthetic point of view, yeah. I want to have six pack abs because I like the look of them. I think that's okay as well. Yeah, obviously that's- on the low extreme end. Or to the point where you become mentally obsessive and you're trying to starve yourself. But then you no. could, exactly. But you, I'm saying, you could argue with that in that scenario. While it's a necessity for that specialist scenario, you could say it's unhealthy the way they do it. Yeah. Because if you see videos of you see videos of fighters cutting weight, they're in like sauna suits on bikes. They're like eating nothing oh, yeah. to get to bodybuilders. You see the stuff they have to go for like because they go bodybuilders that eat a ridiculous amount of food to get to that size and then they have to cut everything before the show because they have to look an absolutely shredded monster before they step on stage. And they're all, don't Let's they pass out some of them? Like some of them pass out. Oh, yeah. And God, that's yeah. like just from posing. I mean, the thing is as well is like, look, when we look at contact sports, like yeah. say boxing and MMA, etc., where extreme weight cuts do happen yeah. all the time, 
I think their overall physical health is not probably on the but, top tier of their list since their profession no. is getting absolutely exactly. smashed this is, pieces. This is why I'm saying it's a specialist scenario where you could say, oh, it's not not recommended, but this is not, they, they don't do this forever normally. And yeah. it's obviously a specialist for their role. The same goes for, another thing I've wrote down here, Tom, is movie stars for like a topless scene or a film. I think it was Henry yeah. Cavill, I, I listened to an interview of him talking about a scene he did for Superman. I think he said he was eating like, <laughs> he had like an apple. <laughs> like a, in the day before, he was drinking no water, he had like an apple because he wanted to basically dehydrate himself so he looked as ripped as possible because he's supposed to be Superman, isn't he? Like the yeah. peak physical performance, Superman, blah, blah, blah. So he, obviously that's not healthy the way he did it, but it's a specialist mm. situation. And this is not, obviously, this is not what a gem pop person would do. Yeah. So that's why he might I have six pack abs for a film. Henry Cavill loves his uh, training though. Oh yeah, he like loves it, Particularly bodybuilding as well. I know he's a fan of actual bodybuilding as well. Um, I know he's probably not natural, as well, let's just be let's honest, be honest here. I don't care if he wants. Know. Plays Warhammer. Um, I absolutely love Henry Cavill, by the way. Especially <laughs> since I found out he was going to be involved in Warhammer. Oh, you know, Warhammer is a massive nerd, you know. <sighs> but come on, he's on the older, the older Capri Sun, juicy fruit. Yeah, yeah, the old Capri Sun. I mean, most most of them are these movie stars, aren't they? But yeah, this is why when I look at a specialist scenario, if they've got six pack abs, the reason they've got them is probably not the healthiest thing in the world. Yeah. Because if we then I mean, look at high, go on, let me just finish by saying, you know, the high, no, we, if we talk about high performing athletes, yeah, so them three athlete cut and weight, bodybuilder, movie star, that is normally quite drastic because of a certain thing they have to do, okay? So it's probably not the healthiest thing. If we look at high performing athletes, yes, some of them all have abs, but some of the, if I look at CrossFit, for example, okay, different shapes and sizes athletes say, all different shapes, some of them are absolutely ripped, no doubt about it. You could say it's genetics to a point, but some of them, don't look that shredded. No. Some of them don't look that shredded. They're a high-performing athlete, but they don't look that shredded. And it's because, obviously, why on earth would they want to dehydrate themselves or basically have their body fat percentage that low where they have to eat no calories if they're then trying to perform high-intensity activity? If they're trying to do an, a, an, a, a workout, a wad, that requires lots of carbs, lots of energy, why are they then going to cut their carbs to reduce water retention when they need those to perform? So for them, mm. six-pack abs is not actually a priority. Yeah. Well, it's not functional to their task at hand, no, is it? Exactly. But obviously, in the context of cutting weight as a fighter, as a bodybuilder, as a movie star on a topless scene, they've kind of got to do it to get to that point. But they wouldn't do it all the time. They wouldn't well, want to be. Yeah. They wouldn't want to be like that the whole time. And that moves me on to Gen Pop. The only reason you'd want a six pack as a Gen population, in my opinion, is for aesthetic reasons. If you're just an everyday man or woman walking on a street, if you want, if you decide yourself you want a six pack. The only benefit to having a six pack in your if if you think it looks nice is because of an aesthetic reason. I can't think of a performance outcome for it, again for it. And this isn't to say though that once again it might not be a byproduct of yeah, something by, else you do. Yeah, no, yeah, for course. Yeah. I mean if I'm saying if you wake up one day and go, I want six pack abs. Yeah. It's obviously for an aesthetic reason. So and I think Is that a bad thing though? Is, I don't, it's not inherently. I'm, yeah, of course not. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing, but yeah. you could link that to Seeing the movie stars, seeing the bodybuilders, seeing that you know the fight, thinking that's the that's what peak performance should look like. Does that make sense? When you see it in like a film, Baywatch, oh, that's what you know. That oh, look at this, look at that. Well, how it's aesthetically amazing. pleasing, basically. Exactly. But unfortunately, what the gem pop don't see is the, the way they got to that thing. For example, Zac Efron, he'd spoke about a blending chicken. 
because he had to eat so much chicken oh, breast oh. because he was he, he was on such a low calorie high protein diet to look shredded in Baywatch. He was blending chicken, but unfortunately, people don't see that. But they're striving for that when it's not actually achievable. So it's kind of like that's why I like CrossFit because there's people of all different shapes and sizes, different body fat percentages. But you'll see some people who don't even look like they're in that. You know, they wouldn't say they're ripped, but they'd be like one of the fittest people you've ever met. They'd be fitter than most mm. like other athletes. You'll see one athlete who looks ripped, one athlete who looks, you could say, maybe a bit fluffy around the midline, but the fluffy guy will actually be better than the, the ripped one. Mm. So I think it's removing those perceptions of what is performance from an aesthetic point of view, which is it's a, it's a hard one to, to navigate. I think the reason, so the article, obviously, if we go back, rewind to the, what the article was initially talking about was why it's bad for you. There are a few things, I think, that are problems with striving for a six-pack. Not having one, so I'm not saying having a six-pack is bad, but striving for a six-pack. Now, jump in at any point in the time, I think there's a few things that go wrong. So the first one is people normally cut carbs when they go for a six-pack because if you don't know, carbs uh, are linked with water retention. I believe it's one gram of carb will hold on to like four grams of water, which is not a bad thing. Three, yeah. Three grams, sorry, three grams, my bad. Um, but obviously... If you're trying to look ripped, you don't want to be holding on to water. So they might cut carbs to reduce that water retention to try and look more ripped. Okay, so that's one problem. Another problem, I think, is we're linked with carbs, actually. Energy levels. If you want to get ripped and lower your body fat percentage, you normally have to be in a calorie deficit. And some people get quite aggressive with these deficits. And because they're cutting Mm. carbs as well, your energy levels might plummet. So that could be another issue with striving for those six-pack abs. There's also more... I'd say away from like a gym setting is the social implications because if you're then going out or you know your friends want to go for a meal thing if you're being absolutely rigid trying to strive for this six-pack ab um, abs you could be like no I can't do this I can't eat this I can't go there or I don't want to drink this I don't want to eat this um, and that could affect your sanity almost like you said Tom if it's affecting their mental health almost because they're becoming obsessed with it obsessed mm. with getting these I think that's a problem <clears throat> so while having six-pack abs in themselves I don't necessarily think is always bad for you like the article's trying to say that it's you have six pack abs you're unhealthy if you've got abs you're unhealthy i think striving for them can be unhealthy obviously depending on the individual but i think for those reasons i listed there i wouldn't say they're good things to do personally i don't know what your thoughts are on that take yeah i mean i'm pretty neutral on the subject to be honest with you if people want six pack abs for aesthetic reasons in particular cool if six-pack abs happen for a byproduct uh, because of what they do, okay. I'm, I'm indifferent either way. Um, can it be harmful in some settings? Yeah. You know, you, we've not even mentioned the word body dysmorphia yet. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, body yeah. dysmorphia is a thing where people become obsessive and then they can start under-eating. Yeah, there's a sanity and social implications. Yeah. It affects a lot of the... Or they become so obsessed that they're trying to overdo the actual activity they're doing but yes uh it, it, can, it can go either way mm-hmm. but i don't think it's a foregone conclusion where it's like as soon as you decide you want six pack abs oh god you're gonna now be unhealthy yeah mm-hmm. you know you're gonna become this obsessed um person you're going to you know you're, you're gonna get into such a deficit you're gonna get reds etc it's yeah. like it's not a foregone conclusion it's like like anything if you do it sensible enough you don't become too emotionally attached to it i think it's doable yeah if you start seeing red flags or signs that fuck out, it's becoming obsessive, okay, maybe now it's time to take a step back. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, actually, is a good point. Is in my gym, there's a couple of guys 
Um, obviously, I won't name them, but um, they have they do the gym quite a lot. I'd say probably like five times a week. I'd say CrossFit. If you know CrossFit, it's very high intense. But they have active jobs. They work in you could say the construction industry. Very active jobs, mm. and they are very ripped. You could say, but that is not probably out of want that is because they their energy expenditure overall is very high mm. and you can tell that it affects their energy levels in the workout and their strength their ability to gain strength because you know if you want to put if you want to get stronger build muscle you normally have to eat more food and i think where their energy expenditure is so high they probably need to eat more food uh, they know this it's, it's but as you said tom it's very hard when your job is just as active as you if you're already in the gym and you love going to the gym you don't really want to stop that but unfortunately your job you can't stop your job either so you're kind of in this like hard battle load management becomes a bit of an issue yeah, it becomes a bit of an issue and it's obviously with the six pack ab things like yes they look absolutely great but ideally they'd probably want to not be as lean because they want to perform better in a crossfit setting but unfortunately there are barriers such as you know if you have an active job and you're working all day and the other thing is oh you say oh just eat more food then well if they're working on a construction site or they're doing a construction job if you know that industry it's very hard to just keep stopping and eating you're normally on site you have a lunch break and that'll be it you haven't got like a mid-afternoon go to your stuff. greasy spoon get your full english you know your your foreman's been an absolute fucking shit bag and you're stressed out over that and <laughs> conclusion really the article is just being a bit extreme you know if you've got six packs you're not unhealthy okay relax it's okay <laughs> basically the article is what the fuck is the point you're trying to make? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, before we move on to the second and final piece of news this week, of course, we have got to mention the Society, or as it's known on the internet, Patreon. I think Society sounds a lot better, though. Hopefully our producers, Jenny and Kalina, are doing well. Um. Yeah, that's it. Really, you got anything to say? <laughs> I've got nothing really much this week. I mean, I think it's a good place to end it at. You know, we hope they're doing well. Yeah. I mean, I could be a contrarian, right? And I could say, well, actually, but I'm going to counterpoint that by saying I hope they're not doing well. well why would you want? I don't that? want to be that kind of person. Well, why would you exactly. Want- yeah. That's what I'm asking you. Why they're would you funding want the that? podcast? Why would, why would we want that? <laughs> exactly, we don't want that. We, 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 Which is what I'm saying is a good point oh, just to good, end it yeah, there. A good point. Yeah, it's a good, very good and point. And so, yeah. you know, we hope yeah. you're doing well. But if I was a contrarian, yeah. I'd be saying the opposite, which I'm not. And of course, thank you to the, the rest of you. I hope the rest of you are doing well as well. The rest of the society members. I hope you are also doing well. But are we actually hoping that? <laughs> why, why would we not be hoping? <laughs> oh my God. Um, anyway. It reminds me of a, a scene I fucking saw on my favourite comedy film of all time, Airplane, where it goes to a talk show called uh, Counterpoint where they're talking about the fucking, this plane that's about to crash. And the Counterpoint's going, the Counterpoint talk show guy's going, they bought their plane tickets, they knew what they was getting into, (laughs) I say let them crash. Oh, for God's sake. Personal responsibility, Bill. You know, if you go to Newcastle, you know what you're expecting, you know, (laughs) that's your fault. wonder if she's still there, who knows? I hope she's okay. <laughs> and we hope she's okay. <laughs> she's okay. I hope she's okay. Anyway, right. If you if you too want to join people, and so we can say that you're hope we hope you're okay as well. Because as far as we're concerned, if you're not in the society, do we hope you're okay? Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting question. I and mean, we won't check on you. Yeah, we so that's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. But, you're right. You know, There's a lot of you out there. Some prayers. Yeah. If you do want us to check on you, join the society. Link is down in the show notes. Uh, give it a click. Patreon. Um, sign up to a tier. We'll say hello to you. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. And if something does happen to you, then you're forever in our thoughts. Yeah, we'll 
we'll give you a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Candle in the wind. <laughs> right. Next piece of news. <laughs> uh, we are talking about the activity guidelines. Do they even work? So over the course of this series, you might have heard us refer to these activity guidelines quite a few times, numerous occasions. Um, I think we even mentioned uh, a study that highlighted how bad we are actually adhering to these guidelines generally. Um, but now we're actually going to look at, do they even work? Because we, we've mentioned people aren't adhering to them, but if they don't work, is there even any point of people trying to adhere to them? So we've got a paper here that hopes mm. to answer a difficult question. If we do adhere to these guidelines, is it even worth it? So quick recap to adherence actually on the minimum guidelines just so you get like a, a bit of a context so uh, we've got some figures here that they, they basically these figures i'm going to read out they combine data from three separate papers and this includes actually one of the mammoth ones we mentioned in that earlier episode of the fitness news which looked like three million people or something something like that it was different countries as well yeah different it was all it was a massive just like paper. we're saying oh well that's americans yeah yeah you know. um, i'll leave all these down in the show notes guys run a look as well but um so uh percentage wise people who didn't adhere to the minimum guidelines, people who adhered to none of them. So let me just quickly rewind, actually. So when we look at the guidelines, you've got aerobic guidelines and you've got muscle strengthening activity guidelines. So the mm. two separate things. Um, and 22.3% did not meet the minimum guidelines of both. Okay, sorry, sorry, let me repeat that. 22.3% people did meet. 72.5% did meet the aerobic percentage of guidelines and you know, that sounds like quite a lot we'll come on to why that is it's actually not that difficult um, but both was 17.3% and then muscle strengthening was 22.5 so just because you might be a bit confused at this point the key one to really take away is because you want people to be basically doing both you want people to be meeting minimum on both is that only 17.3% of people in across these three separate papers which were huge met the minimum guidelines for both aerobic and muscle strengthening mm. activities, okay, 17.3%, which is not a lot at all. If we then fast forward to this new paper, which, is it worth it? Essentially, yes, it is worth it. Um, and what we're seeing is, is the most benefit is when you meet both the aerobic and the muscle strengthening activity, which is why it's important, which that number I mentioned, only 17.3% of people are meeting both you actually get the most benefit when you do both. So it's quite worrying that that number's really low. Um, and it does appear that, it does, that there is quite a, what you call it, a dose-response relationship between the physical activity and cardio-metabolic health. So we're looking at things like diabetes, heart health, etc. Um, as well as, uh, there's another paper there. So if I look at all the paper, if I look at all the research in general, Tom, um, basically what, what it looks like if I sort of, try and conclude it to make it quite easy uh, to understand is that you can expect major health benefits when you jump from being very sedentary so literally doing fuck all to moderately active so you're going to see major benefits just from doing something so when people say oh when people try and hit back at well we because we always say something's better than nothing but then you get some people saying yeah. well no because it depends on how you're doing oh fucking no to do something <laughs> because going from doing fuck all to moderately active is you're going to get yeah. major benefits okay i think the point um that we try to make a lot of times is like in regards to particular social media there's like a lot of fear-based uh information in regards to exercise of that beach you know strength training aerobic training so for example oh don't do cardio with strength training because cardio is going to kill your gains. Yeah. You know, or, oh, if you're new to the gym, you've got to be careful of your form. Wear you these know. shoes. got to be careful of the technique you use. You're going to, you're going to hurt yourself if you do it wrong, mm. you know, which straight away kind of puts people off, off yeah. of actually, well, 
Excel. picking up a yeah. bloody weight or going onto an exercise machine mm-hmm. or, you know, the stigma of, you know, going to the gym just simply to use a treadmill. Yeah. You know, the stigma of going to the gym and, you know, just being a female that exists yeah. in a male yeah. environment. You know, the whole idea is that we are literally just trying to get you to get moving. Yeah. Because we're going to see those major health benefits just from doing some sort of movement. Um, you do still get benefits. So if you go from being slightly active, so I don't know so if you were like a, if you did walking quite a bit and you went to quite active, you're going to see still considerable benefits. Um, but it does go down to modest benefits when you go from being very active to extremely active. So if you were someone who went to the gym quite a lot and then you suddenly became an athlete, your, the, the, the benefits then we're talking about in terms of cardiometabolic health and things okay like general health that the, the yeah. benefits become more modest okay but what we're saying is that the people who are not even meeting the minimum is quite worrying yeah so for most people listening the minimum is going to be a couple of resistance training sessions a week so lifting some weights or whatever for twice a week in addition to 150 to 300 minutes a week of moderate intensity or 75 to 150 minutes a week of high intensity exercise. This is for most people listening because they're right, depending on your age and stuff, there will be some little variations. I'll leave a link again to the uh, World Health Organization guidelines so you can get more specific for you. For most people listening though, that's what you need to take away is that you need to do a couple of resistance training sessions a week, 150 to 300 minutes a week of moderate intensity or 75 to 150 minutes of high intensity, or you can do like a combination of both. Now, we've given this advice, we've given you, we have given you advice on this before, I believe, but I want to really emphasize now how achievable this is to meet these minimum guidelines. And that's something using something called METS, okay, which is metabolic equivalence. Because if you think of 150 to 300 minutes a week and you think of it as more of a, if you think of like the, the Instagram or whatever definition of health or exercise, whatever, you might think that's quite a lot. You might think, oh, I've got to do 300 minutes of go for a run. I've got to do a 5K every day, whatever. Yeah. When if we look at METS, it's, it's not quite it's not quite the case because you might be surprised to know 75 minutes of vigorous activity is not 75 mm. minutes of burpees a week. <laughs> You'd be lucky. This is where METS that. comes in handy because it kind of lets you know, well, what do we class as moderate activity? Exactly that. So if you're trying to get between your 150 to 300 minutes of moderate activity per week, well, what is moderate activity? This is where METS comes in handy. Or if you're trying to get your 75 minutes of vigorous activity, once again, what's vigorous activity? Yeah. This is where METS comes in handy. And METS numbers... Drum roll, I'm like, you know, fuck the drum roll off, can't be asked, got to push a button. <laughs> Imagine there's a drum roll, I was going to go straight into it. Moderate. Too much Mets, too, too much Mets. Too much Mets, well, my fingers be cramping up. So a moderate is three Mets plus, and high slash vigorous is six Mets plus. So obviously, I'll give you some context now because that brings nothing to you. Though I will put a link as well because there is actually a huge, it's called a compendium. So it's a 2011 compendium, which is basically a list of loads of activities like i'm talking literally there's things like fishing and all sorts on it like all <laughs> housework hoover yeah. whatever everything Gardening. it tells you the mets on there okay but for context um if we put walking they put if you walk for pleasure or work break that is 3.5 mets 3.5 mets so 20 minutes of walking a day just a pleasurable walk whatever that is going to hit the minimum aerobic limit which is not a lot at all Okay, but if you walk fast, like a power walk, for example, or 4.5 yeah. miles per hour, if you want to get more specific with it, you're actually going to be hitting a METS of seven. So technically that's vigorous. So you've only got to do 75 minutes of that. If you were, if you did like a fast walk, 75, that's not a lot to do in a week if you break that down. 
Um, if we then look at a run, for example, because people like to run, don't they? If you run at a 15-minute mile pace, which is not really that fast, if you're a runner, you'll know 15-minute miles is actually very slow. That's actually a tabbing pace for people who are in military tab. listening. Yeah, if you're a military mm. listener, that's a tabbing pace, which is a faster walk, but if you were to run that, it's not very fast. Um, yeah. That will also get you into vigorous territory with a six. Obviously, the faster you go, the more Mets. So if you do a six-minute mile pace, that's actually going to get you 14 Mets. I mean... With Google, you'll be able to find like a good Mets table to kind of help you f- f- uh, figure it out and find out well, the movements you like to do, the exercise you like to do. But the, the point is, you'll see it from those numbers there, it's actually very, very easy to hit the aerobic limit for for moderate and vigorous. Like vigorous activity is not that, it's not that much. It's not, it's not, I would as- say it's easy in the terms of like the intensity you kind of need to do. Obviously, for finding, for finding like the time. Obviously, that could be something, but this is where, okay, if like the 150 to 300 minutes of moderate activity, all you can do is walk, then okay, most of those things where it's like, okay, well, that's something I can do, but obviously time is a bit of a barrier here, so what can I do? Maybe it's, I could start combining it with my everyday life, you know, getting back and forward to work, etc. They've put work break, which is actually quite good advice on their part, because yeah. let's say you get an hour, an hour lunch break. What do a lot of people do for an hour lunch break? They sit on their phones, they twiddle, they, they they fucking do, they mong around basically, don't they? Let's be honest. A lot of people mince it, okay? If I had a penny for every time I've said to a client whose uh, steps are relatively low, yeah. can we get you to go out just for 10 minutes on your lunch break yeah. and see where it leads you? Yeah. I'd be a fucking millionaire. I know, right? It's like, it's such an easy fix because you go out for a little yeah. walk. If you've got to do 20 minutes, if you've got an hour lunch break, 20 minutes is not... You can also combine that. If you're going to get food from somewhere, you can combine that with your walk to get your food. I mean, obviously, I understand if your job is, I don't know, being a fucking sentry in Afghanistan, I understand, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe you yeah, can't yeah, yeah. go yeah, out and you yeah. a walk. This this probably applies to more office-based jobs where people are normally sedentary in their normal yeah, day jobs, jobs and they don't, they don't go to the gym. And this is a really good opportunity to hit that minimum aerobic limit. And it gets you moving as well off of your desk. You know, you're not in the same position for long. Gets you away from the screen as well. Also, I want to mention this because there is actually a table for those that are sexually active. Now, I know people sometimes like to say that, oh, sex is like really good cardio. But unfortunately, I don't know how to break it to you guys. It doesn't quite make the grade. So even if you're going at full beans, so you're at full pump city, giving it, giving it large. 75 minutes of vigorous activity. Actually, well, actually, you're only getting a 2.8. And that's if you're going, that's if you're going vigorous, vigorous set. If you're pumping away, like giving it, giving it large, you know, Kevin and Perry going on, you're actually only getting a 2.8, which is not a lot. You're actually not even hitting moderate. So um, if you're thinking that sex will meet the minimum requirements, I don't know how to break it to you, but no. Um, and if you're only passive light effort kissing, so if you're having a little kissing, a bit of a hug, that's only 1.3. It's only 1.3 so you basically have to lengthen out the foreplay. <laughs> lengthen out and try and get more rom. <laughs> <laughs> more rom. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm you, not, know. you know what I want to know, Tom, is how, what, are they just, what is active, vigorous effort for them in terms of sex? Well, that's what I'm wondering. And, you know, science, they got these to, fucking nerds. Yeah, but who know. have they got to test this? You know what I mean? Do you know what? It's really funny that we, bought, we you, you, you mentioned this, but like there was a study I recently saw as okay. well. And this is quite irrelevant to what we're talking about. Well, to an extent, but it actually showed the dangers of um, you know certain positions for okay. your spine. Oh, really? Yeah, it was really, really shit. Imagine being no cebic about shagging. Oh, I'd be devastated. So, was it uh, trying to terrible. say that this position's actually it's worse like the, for your the spine? The Stu McGill Karma Sutra. Yeah, the, the Stu McGill Karma Sutra. If you shag in this position, your spine is going to snap. 
Yeah, exactly. It pretty much was like that. Yeah. Oh god. But yeah, I mean, um, going back to like using Mets, etc. Yeah. It does kind of show that. Well, to be fair, look, going back to the physical guidelines in general, you know, it goes to show you that there's a lot more than one way to skin a cat. It hasn't got to be running. You know, hasn't got to be swimming. It can simply be walking. It can be gardening. It's things that you can add to your everyday life that you do already without realising it. Like we said, there's a whole list in this compendium you can look at. Like, there's so many different things. Or things you may already be doing. Yeah, you might even realise, yeah. So, if you're an avid gardener and you know that you're doing about 120 minutes a week of gardening already... Yeah, fucking hell. Then you can think to yourself, okay, if I want to get to those minimum guidelines, all I've got to do now is add, like, you know, an extra 30 minutes or something I think this is why, Tom, when we looked at the, the data that... There's a large percentage of people already meeting the aerobic. There's 70-odd percent of people meeting the aerobic because the aerobic is not actually that difficult. People don't even realise it sometimes because it's just by doing everyday stuff you'll yeah. hit the minimum. Obviously, we want people above the minimum, as we said. There is, yeah. there is going to be a dose response there. I'd rather preach more yeah. than less. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the issue we've really got is with the the strengthening, the muscle strengthening sort of thing, um, activities. Okay, so the stats were low on that. Um, and it obviously just states twice a week. Now, see, that doesn't sound like a lot, but... Twice a week of the major muscle groups. Of the major muscle groups, yeah. So, so pushing something and pulling something. Yeah, squatting something. And something with your legs, so hinge, squatting hinge, or hinging or whatever. Hinge, squat, pull, push, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah. um, so really what we want to try and do now for you is we want to say how much you need to do because twice a week is quite vague in terms of what do you do? Do you just walk into the gym? Just do a quick curl and leave? You know, is that, is that what you need to do? For what, I mean, Tom, what would be your bias for, for someone doing minimum twice a week? Because would you do full body both days or would you do like a split? I mean, my bias would be if it's if it's two days a week, I mean, it does depend. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It, depends. it depends. It depends on how close their Classic training slow. days are together. Yeah, that's a good point. So for example, if you have like, you come in, you train and there's like a couple of days off from the gym and you come in again, yeah. I'll say, okay, yeah, crack on with full body mm. both days. So you come in and you do those three basic. If, if you're trying to, if we're trying to keep it super simple here, you come into the gym on the Monday. You you squat, you row, you push something. You might do a deadlift as well. So basically, you're pushing something, pulling something, squatting something, hinging something. Have a couple of days off. Come back in again. Rinse and repeat. Do the exact same thing. But I would then look at a split. Like if you did Monday, Tuesday, about okay, do an upper body day push something, pull something, get to add a couple of more exercises, doing those same movements, come in next day, do your lower body. I Basically, you're not training the same muscle group twice in a row. That's yeah, what I'd recommend. Yeah, just for recovery, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of exercise selection, I know, Tom, you obviously gave a few there, but I would just say what you enjoy to do, really. Like if you, Yeah. When you first get in there, I think we mentioned it on a previous podcast. Um, I think it was, so you want to start the gym. Um, you can go listen to that. I'll link it down below as well. Uh, but essentially have a little play around at first because you're a blank canvas as I know you'd like to say Tom that's like your little yeah. go-to you're a blank canvas have a little play around with different movements what sort of exercises do you enjoy what sort of machines do you enjoy what sort of bits of kit do you like to use because if you enjoy it you're more likely to adhere to it if you get in there and you find out I don't like squatting I don't like rowing well you're probably not going to go back and do it very often don't need to <laughs> yeah you don't need to when we say when we say squat something there's various sort of ways you can do a sort of that pattern or work than the muscle yeah. groups. Um, you don't necessarily have to back squat it. You know, you don't, <laughs> there are other ways of doing I mean, it. If we're doing this in a sense of just for, for meeting the physical activity guidelines for health reasons, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you are kind of doing those major muscle groups. And that could be with a free weight. So it could be a dumbbell, kettlebell, barbell, or it could be on machines. Machines, yeah. I know Resistance machines band. get a lot of flack, 
but yeah, resistance band if you want to. I mean, I'd rather get them on something that they can overload on in a linear fashion. Yeah. So like, yeah, like a machine or a free weight, but it doesn't really matter. As long as you're doing those kind of movements, whether it be a lap pull down or a barbell row, it don't really matter. It's what you enjoy. Yeah. Obviously, if aside from wanting to make the physical activity guidelines, you also have a specific goal in mind, such as, yeah, I really want to learn how to deadlift, or I want to get good at picking things up from the floor, yeah, well, or do, picking things up deadlift. and pushing them over yeah. my head, okay, maybe I'll be a bit more specific here and say deadlifts, yeah. overhead press, etc., etc. Now, once you've actually, let's say you've picked those exercises you want to do, okay, you probably want to know how many you should be doing. Okay, you don't just pick it up and go, is, is that it? I mean, the sets and reps you, you could aim for. I mean, if we use the current research as a guide, okay, if you do 10 sets per muscle group per week, that's going to be a really good place to start. Okay, mm. 10 sets per muscle group per week. Okay, so let's not say per exercise, per exercise, okay, so, that, group. Yeah, so we're not saying 10, you don't have to do 10 sets on the squat. 10 sets across multiple leg exercises okay so that's 10 sets and that's per week mm. so if you did if you did full body both days that means you've only got to do five sets on the monday five sets on the thursday this is why i like to simplify it by saying pushing something and pulling something so twice Ten a week push. yeah mm-hmm. yeah for the week so if you come in two sessions for the week it'd be five sets of pushing something on each day you might do three sets of bench press, then two sets of an over press in one day, rinse yeah, and repeat, have a rest day, come back in, do it again. I'd also add for, for general health, okay, so when we're looking at reps as well, I'm stressed, this is for general, I'd say for general people if you're just trying to meet the guidelines. If you're looking for reps, I would probably look to do something like a one to two reps in reserve to make sure there's enough stimulus. So yeah. what I mean by that is, is let's say you're doing a, you're, you're, you're pushing, you're doing some push press, uh, strict press whatever barbell press you're pushing up you want to get to a point where you when you get to your last rep you've probably got one to two left in the tank it should feel like it's dramatically starting to slow down so you know you could squeeze out more if you really tried but you're going to stop but maybe keep them in the tank yeah that is that that should if we look at the current research give you enough stimulus to see benefit from lifting those weights okay you don't want to go to failure really like we we have spoke about that. I mean, there are cases where you might go to failure, but this is I'm talking that to you now as a general health minimum guidelines recommendation. Do you know level. what? If you're brand new, you could probably do less at first as well. Anyway, yeah, once fast you, you know, go four. You could five, probably right? have quite a fair yeah. amount of reps left in you at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, Tom, as well, when people are new, they normally do undershoot as well because yeah. they're not really sure, and because they yeah, they hit true. that first point of discomfort and they think that's enough. And this really? when I come over and teach you an AMRAP. <laughs> an AMRAP, yeah, right. You're gonna AMRAP that fucking barbell. <laughs> but no, most people undershoot what they can do because they feel they're they're not un- they're not really sure what their body's capable of quite yet, which is fine because there's nothing wrong with underdosing. But if you overdose, then you can you your risk. Obviously, load management comes in. If we talk about what we talked about earlier, load management. If you overdose, you could increase your risk of injury. But if you underdose. Nothing's really going to happen at first. You're learning. You're getting to understand how your body reacts to these movements. And then hopefully you get to that one to two reps and reserve. Because the great thing as well about using that reps and reserve thing, because if you're just doing this for general health, you probably don't want to get too bogged down with all the percentages and things like that, which are useful, by the way. But reps and reserves and RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, they are subjective metrics. So it makes it very easy for you to adapt to in your yeah. Some days you won't feel good. Some days you'll be tired. Some days you'll have more in the tank. If you're using these systems, it allows you to be dynamic with it. At first, if it is something you are new to, I would rather just focus on actually just coming in and doing the movements and not worrying too much about the intensity at first. Because remember, the idea is that we want you doing a certain amount per week on a weekly basis. Um, 
oh, do you know what? Is this something we should probably quickly go back to in regards to like the aerobic activity? I know we're going back on ourselves here, but when we talk about oh, 100 to 300, sorry, 150 to 300 minutes a week or 75 minutes a week, I think it's very important we clarify that. Obviously, you can spread that throughout the week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I mentioned we, we don't mean... the 20 minutes a day of walking. You don't have to do. Yeah, it doesn't have to be oh, 150 enough, minutes yeah. in a week in a day. But I mean, in regards to the intensity, in regards to strength training, if I was to give you a simple piece of advice, it's lift with an intent, lift a weight that you think is going to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds really, really subjective and really simple, and that can be lost in translation. Yeah, it probably can. But I've, I have seen a study where people were basically given that advice, and they still found that over time, and in, in some of it was in, in a linear fashion as well. They actually managed to get stronger over time and lift more weight. So yeah, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Exactly that. Guys, obviously if you need more guidance on that, get in touch if you really want to. I know Tom's got a really cool beginner's template as well. Um, I do. He's always happy to to fire out um, if needed, especially if you're a Patreon, you get it, you'll get it within fucking seconds because he'll be on that like a fucking tramp yeah. on chips because that's just how serious we take things over in the society. We spread information like fucking wildfire. Okay, if you want Including it, you get misinformation. it. misinformation. What, misinformation? As a joke sometimes. Obviously, it's between us. Like We don't tell the listeners what we're giving misinformation about. Let's not make this joke, mate, because people are going to start questioning our, people are going to start questioning our intentions <laughs> in this podcast. Is it actually the, the past 40 minutes has all been misinformation. Be yeah. The actual guidelines is five minutes. Um, <laughs> we're, just yeah. to make you fuck, <laughs> yeah. we're just trying to fuck you up and get you six-pack abs so you're fucking unhealthy. Be fair, mo- most people will still probably be undershooting that. So. <laughs> yeah, five minutes. That's so a lot if you that. can get an extra five minutes, minutes in a week i'll be happy with yeah, that i'll be happy with that yeah fucking hell crack on i think that's really it i think we'll wrap up there to be honest um so yeah guys that is all the news this week um just a quick one though, actually are you subscribed to the podcast me me personally no not, no, not you fuck's sake we go no not you tom that'd be weird head. you're on the pod yeah it'd be weird if you subscribe to your own podcast that'd it? be liking my own comments you know actually but you should do to be honest because the question is, guys, if, if you if you click the button, not to, Tom, not talk to you again, so just you sure ignore this bit. Yeah, I'm not talking to you. I need to click the button. <laughs> Have you clicked? Because basically, what I'm trying to say is, guys, is do you know how much power you hold right now? Because if you click that subscribe button or that follow button, depending on what app you're using, you tell that app that this is a fucking shit up podcast. You let them know that wow, this is worth listening to week after week after week. And then what they do is they think, mm, you know what? Let's push this to other potential listeners, other people who might like this. So what I'm saying is you have the power to either grow the podcast or fucking destroy it. Because if you listen to it and don't subscribe or follow, you're then telling the app that, oh, I listened to it, but you know what? I don't listen to it again. I don't fancy listening to it next week. It wasn't that good. And then they're going to think, nah, we'll, we'll bury that. We'll leave that in the bottoms of you're the You're basically the a the- bystander witnessing a crime and decided not to do anything about it. Coward. You're a monster. So yeah, just to, just to repeat that, are you subscribed to the podcast? Not you, Tom. Have you clicked that button? Not you, Tom. Because you have a lot of power in your hands. Click it now. If you're driving, though, maybe wait till you finish driving. That'd be, no, no. Prioritise, you know. <laughs> Prioritise. Click it's off the hard shoulder. Now. <laughs> what do they have in the States? What do they have over in America? Do they have hard shoulders? Um, it's called a highway, isn't it? But what? It's called a highway. Uh, I think it's called them so- ditches. <laughs> ditches, yeah. <laughs> what do they call it? Like a hard shoulder. I have no idea, but you know what? Their roads are like, the layout of their roads are really, really simple, which I like. It's just one big like cross grid, right? Yeah. So it's either left or it's right. It's like Norton Crosses. 
Yeah, oh, well, I'm not saying there's no traffic. What I'm saying is the, the the way their roads are laid out, it's just like a grid, oh, okay, right? sure. Very it's simple, like a spaghetti yeah. junction here where you can keep on going well, forward. They don't, they don't have roundabouts, do they? They don't have roundabouts, do they? No, they don't have roundabouts. But some of their like traffic code is really weird. Like you can still drive through a red light sometimes and stuff like that. You can still turn left. What do you mean sometimes? Something like that. You can still turn left if the light's red. In what? Oh, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's really weird. And like, if yeah. you ever go to Florida on like their iDrive, their crossings are massive. iDrive? What the fuck's iDrive? The iDrive's like their, it's like their version of the, like the M1. Oh, okay. It's like Florida. a big... Oh, it's fucking massive. Oh. Mate, if you're going to cross the road there, you've got to take a sleeping bag with you. You, you can cross the iDrive? Yeah. Well, I did. The, you, can't, you can't cross the M1. That probably explains why people were, you know... Still, <laughs> still driving when I was crossing. <laughs> and you can cross the M1, it's just not recommended. Recommended? It's fucking illegal, isn't it? Yeah, but you can still physically do it. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, you if can physically do a lot lucky. of things. It doesn't mean it's right. You can do a lot yeah. of things physically. <laughs> I, mean, I'm not, I wouldn't recommend doing it. But, no, um, so you the know, iDrive, yeah. So it's just, fair play, so it goes Florida, do it. it? Yeah, it goes to Florida, but like, yeah, like, they can still turn left if their le- red lights are red, which is confusing as a pedestrian, as you can imagine. Well, Maybe to confuse the crocodiles. A UK pedestrian. A UK pedestrian. Yeah. A citizen. A citizen, yeah. Communist state, apparently, like NHS. I know. <laughs> I know. God, free healthcare. What are we like? Oh. What are we like? Okay, God, right. Guys, if you're not subscribed, do it. Click that button. Have the power. Feel the power. Let the app know that you do. If you don't like us, then fair enough. Yeah, just fuck us off. But <laughs> if you do, obviously, it'd be great. We do us a big favour. So, yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. And we will see you next week, same time, same place, for some more The Fitness News. We shall see, see you soon. Were you, trying to, were you trying to say it before me? No, no. It was just, uh, we was just very well in sync. Well in sync, yeah. I was, I know, you, you looked like you were, you were itching to, to beat no, me to it. I literally was itching. That was my beard, though. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye.